so I want to get right into it because um, I've been, this is really one of the main parts that I've been really excited about um, because we've talked about a whole bunch of different things, recalibrate, reset. On Sunday, we talked about reconnect, and today we're going to talk about rejoice. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to talk about rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, for the amazing things that you're doing in our life. God, that you are with us and you never forsake us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the anointing tonight that comes to remove the burden, destroy the yokes, that it breaks off all deception from our mind, everything that's hindering us from stepping into the authority, the position that you have given to us here on earth to rule and reign in every area of our life. We thank you, Father, Lord, for this new dispensation of your glory, and we declare we'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been talking, uh, the last few times that I've been here, uh, you know, really, I've been talking about faith, which is no surprise, because, uh, you know, we are faith people. And, you know, the scripture that says that when Jesus is coming back, he's looking for faith, that it's faith that pleases God. Uh, it became very apparent to me very early in my Christianity that if nothing else, if I don't achieve anything else in my life, I want to be known as a man of faith. And, and really, we talked about that on Sunday as we talked about our reconnect, which was really our place of reconnecting back to what God was doing. Not necessarily that we weren't connected, but we're reconnecting back to those things, those decisions, that obedience that we have, that, that, that we know that God has called us into. Because I know that when I'm connected to him, as I reconnect myself to him, what that does is it connects me back to the blessing. That maybe there were some areas that God was asking me to do some things, and I wasn't doing them, and now I'm choosing to reconnect back into that place place because I know we're going to talk about tonight that the scripture says, right, that God looks at and values obedience more than sacrifice, more than, you know, more than kind of looking the part. God wants us to be the part. He wants us to do the things that he's asked us. And we talked about this, you know, uh, on Sunday that God's main objective in our life is faith, not fish, yeah. right? It's faith, not stuff. It's faith, you know, not the blessing, right? Although we know that faith in our life will produce the blessing, we have to be very careful to understand that God is looking to get us faith, not the blessing. The blessing is a byproduct and what our life is going to look like when we have faith operating in our life, right? It's not about the stuff, you know, I joke about it. And we talk about cars and we talk about houses and those things are great. And, you know, we will rejoice with you when you see those things in your life. But we have to remember that that's not where we stop. We don't stop at the stuff. We don't stop at the faith. Be, or we don't stop with the fish, we're going for the faith, right. right? And so we have to remember that, and that's really where we're going to be tonight. Um, we're going to talk about David. Um, I think if there was, if, if I had to preach about anybody's life in the Bible, that I could only choose one person to preach about forever, I think that I would choose David to preach about, because it, it seems like he's gone through the whole gamut of things. Like, this guy has, like, ridden on the highest waves you know, and he has, you know, sunk down in the deepest of valleys. I mean, he's had some serious ups of obedience, and he's had some serious downs of disobedience. And, and tonight we're going to talk about really the beginning of his story, uh, and, and really his first main victory that we all know so very much about. And so let's give it a little bit of context, because actually where we meet David right now, we're going to be going to 1 Samuel 17, but we get, first we get introduced to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And it's a rather unfortunate situation because we meet David as a result of Saul being rejected by God. Okay, that's a, that's a tough place to be. You know, it, 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 it's great to be chosen. It's not so great to be rejected. And we meet David on the scene because basically th at this point in Saul's life, you know, God asks him to do some things. He asks him for his obedience. Okay. We've got to remember this, and, and sometimes we can forget about this, that, you know, I'm telling you, all that God is looking for is our obedience. That if we do nothing else than obey what he's asking us to do and obey his word, Mike, thanks for your Bible, and obey his word, I'm telling you something, your life will go well. If you just obey the word of God and do what the word says, I'm telling you, situations, circumstances, issues that you have in your life, these things will all turn out good because the word is true. And when we're obedient to the word of God, good things happen for us, okay? And so we see in this particular passage of scripture, 1 Samuel 16, that Saul is rejected because most of you know this story. 
uh, Saul was told to kill all of the Amalekites because basically God was repaying what the Amalekites did to the Israelites years and years ago in the desert, right? The Amalekites would come and they would kind of like pester and kill and they would bother the Israelites. And so now Saul has this moment and God says, listen, here's the deal. I want you to wipe them out, right? That's another, you know, bummer for the Amalekites. And, you know, Saul, I'm sure had great intentions, um, but he doesn't kill them all right? It says that he sees the king and all the king's stuff, and he, you know, basically starts thinking about himself, you know? He's thinking, wow, if I get all this king's sheep and cow and, you know, all this stuff, it's going to make me look so good. And if I, you know, carry the king into town, it's going to make me look so awesome. It actually makes reference to, in First, Cham- in first Samuel 16, that Saul is so conceited, right? He's so full of himself at this point. He comes up with this great idea and says, we should erect a monument to me, right? I mean, like, you know that you, you know that you're in a bad place, okay? When you go around telling people, here's a little insight, right? You're in a bad place if you go around telling people that there should be a monument erected to yourself. And this is where Saul finds himself. He gets so focused on what he's doing, he gets so focused on who he is and his great things that he doesn't obey God because he's so full of himself. But it's amazing how we're going to see Saul, just one chapter later, we're going to see Saul in a very, very different light. We're going to see a man who, who goes from thinking he's so great that he should have a monument erected to himself to one chapter later, he's basically shaking in his boots, hiding in his tent, okay? And, and I wanted to say, you know, that to, to, tonight I'm talking about faith, but the more and more that I wrote my notes, what I realized was is that really what we're talking about tonight is that we're rejoicing over the anointing of God in our life. Because what, I tell you something, Saul was so up on himself, and why he had such a crazy transition was not that all of a sudden, like, he went crazy or something, but it says in that very moment, right, when the anointing of God left him, everything in his life began to change, right? That's why, you know, I remember hearing a teaching a long time ago, and, you know, I definitely could do better than this, you know, but, but she was talking about how, you know, we have to protect our anointing, even to the place where we're so careful and cautious about what goes in our eyes and into our ears, you know, like, like watching violence and things like that. And, you know, I, I love a good action movie and Black Panther has just came out. And so I think that I'm going to get a little more holy maybe in like next weekend, right? But the thing was, is that the more that I read about the scripture and the more that I see uh, 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 how valuable the anointing is and the power that the anointing has in my life, the more that I realize that it's something that's worth protecting, it's something that's worth guarding, and it's something that's worth fighting for. And so we're going to see Saul in just a moment uh, 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 in response to the fact that God has now left him, the anointing has left him, the presence of God has left him, and he's basically left trying to do what he did without the presence of God through his own natural strength and natural ability. And so Saul goes through all these things and he does the stuff and then, you know, Samuel comes to him and says, you know, Saul, you know, God told you that you were supposed to, you know, kill basically everybody and everything. It was supposed to be a mass slaughter of all the Amalekites. And Saul does what every great man does when he's, you know, caught in the middle of a problem. He makes excuses, he lies, and he blames somebody else, right? I mean, how many men in here would say hoo-ha, right? Like, I mean, that's the thing, okay? And this is what Saul does is, you know... He says, you know, I brought the animals back here so that I could sacrifice them to the Lord. And, you know, I brought the king back here for this reason. You know, maybe it would sound like, you know, I'll tithe when I get rich. (laughs) And this is where Saul responds that obedience is better than sacrifice. What he was saying to him was this, that obedience in God's eyes in the Old Testament, that God valued obedience more than he valued the law. He wasn't talking about like sacrifice. He was talking about in response to Saul saying that I'm going to sacrifice the animals to the Lord, right? I'm going to do this great sacrifice that the law tells me to do. And, and, And Samuel responds to him and said, listen, there is nothing that's more valuable to the Lord than a heart of obedience that's towards him. And so now at this point, right, we see that, you know, there's this really epic moment, you know, where Saul, you know, they grab onto each other and they rip away and their shirts rip off and, you know, they're left there bare chested. And it's this really crazy man moment where basically Saul says, or Samuel says, this is it, like the Lord has been stripped from you. And we enter 
King David, or little boy David at this point. And, and we see that really what, what David was, was he was the symbolism of God's choice, and Saul was the symbolism of man's choice. What it looks like when we follow our ideas and our agenda, and when we follow our way of thinking, versus what we see as God's way, and obeying God and following God. We see that it was man's way that only lasted so long, that ended in failure. But we see with King David, when the Israelites finally followed God's way, we see that not only did King David do amazing things, but through the line of King David came Jesus. I tell you something this evening, God's way is the best way. His way, his promises are the best way. And sometimes obedience is hard and it's challenging. Trust me, I know. But I tell you, there's nothing better than following the Lord with the heart of obedience. And so we see that our natural plans, right, they will always pale in comparison to God. And it, but the beautiful thing is it doesn't matter how badly you think you messed up. It doesn't matter how, you know, it didn't matter that Israel chose Saul and he was the king, I think, for 15 years. We see that God, as soon as we allow, they allowed God in, as soon as we allow God back in, he's busy making a plan to restore us back to who he said we could be. So it's never too late. You're never too old. You never made too many mistakes. David is a beautiful example to us of a nation, a man, a person who allows God back in to make the decisions, to be the one who's at the top, to be the mind, to be the head over the situation. And so we see this, and we, we meet David actually very first, not because he does anything great, but because uh, at this point, King Saul, he's tormented, right? The absence of God is torment. The absence of God is torment. I tell you something, I got the cure for torment. It's Jesus. You're tormented in your mind, tormented in your finances, tormented in your bank account, tormented in your relationships. I tell you something, just like King Saul, right here we see the cure for torment is the presence of the Lord. And so this is what happens, is that David is chosen because, you know, he is a man who is known to carry the anointing and the presence of God. It says that there was a man in Saul's chamber who was with Saul that, that David, you know, he was basically must have been like a famous, you know, harp player. You know, we think of David as like he was out in the field somewhere, but he must have had crowds out in the field because, uh, you know, one of the king's close advisors had heard David play. He went to one of David's concerts, you know, out in the field somewhere. And he said, listen, I know if you're looking for a harp player, this is the guy you got to get, this little, you know, 10-year-old boy David. You know, when he plays, things are happening. And so we see that David now has this moment where he gets a glimpse into his future. He goes from the field into the palace. Because God will always give us a glimpse of our destiny before we get there. He'll always give us a taste of what he's going to bring us into before we actually get into there. But what I want to talk about this evening is this, is that God he gave him a glimpse of the dream, but the fulfillment of the dream comes after he has this epic experience with a giant. He gets the glimpse, and from the glimpse, he meets the giant. And I realized that this was a very common theme in Scripture. I mean, when we think about it, like, let's talk about the Israelites, right? Like, they're escaping Egypt, and they're, you know, this is it. Like, we're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. You know, and they're walking, you know, to the promised land, you know, and one of them, like, bangs their head on Jericho. And they're thinking, in my immediate thought would be like, oh, I guess we have to go like around Jericho. You know, the promise is over there. But we see even in scripture in the Israelites' life that their promise, they were met by a giant before they were able to enter into their promise. And I realize in this that even in Psalm 23, David says this. He says that on his way to the green pasture, on his way to the, you know, he leads me beside the still waters. On the way to him restoring my soul, I got to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. 
And sometimes this isn't something that we want to rejoice about, but what I realized was is that our promise a lot of the time is in a place that requires a fight. And as I asked the Lord about this, he made this statement to me. He said to me that there are things that we learn in battle that we can't learn in our bedroom. And when we look at, we're going to go through really quickly, 1 Samuel 17, because David gives us tools to understand how to win our battle. Because 2 Corinthians tells us that the weapons of our warfare, they aren't carnal, right? I mean, like, your, your Bible, you know, it's not like it's like super morphin power that when I need it to, it like turns into a handgun, right? Like super morphin Bible handgun, because I, you know, the weapons of our warfare, they are not what we use naturally, right? But David, what, <laughs> did I say warfare funny? Warfare, okay? But what we realize is that our, the weapons that we have to use against the enemy, they are not natural, they are not carnal, and most of the time, truthfully, they're not even going to make sense when you hear them that this would be the tool that we have to use. Because what we have to remember is this. We aren't fighting the devil to get our promise. And I think that sometimes we forget that that's not the battle that we're fighting. Sometimes we think that like, yes, like I need, you know, the sword of the spirit so that I can make sure that when the devil comes or I face him in battle, that I will have this great sword that I can slash him. I'll tell you something, the devil is already defeated. He has already lost. You know, the tools that David is going to tell us about to winning our battles are tools to keep me on my journey of faith. There are tools that, like we read, I think it's in Galatians, where he says, you know, if, if you don't quit, if you don't faint, if you don't grow weary, you will reap, okay? The tools that David is going to talk to us about here are tools that we employ against ourselves When we want to quit, when we feel like it can't happen, when we feel like the giant is too big, that God could surely never overcome this, there are tools that I use against myself, my mind, my negative thinking, so that when I'm in my moment of battle, I can stand strong so that I could just make it through because I know if I make it through, I'm guaranteed the victory. Because I'm not fighting any enemy other than the doubt and the negativity in my own brain. So we're actually going to read uh, 31 to 49, um, but we're not going to read it all together because that would just take too long. So the very first thing that we see with King David, and you could write this down because I think these are good, and I use these in my own life, and you could ask people around me. I'm a pretty positive dude, and it's, it's only because I use the word, because the word works. I mean, I'll tell you, every time, every time the word works, okay? So the very first thing that we see with King David and this is in First uh, Samuel 17, verse 34 to 37, is we see him, uh, we, we understand this reality about David that he practiced in private what we eventually would see evident in his life in public. Yeah. Sometimes we think that, that David, you know, it was like, you know, he goes out on this battlefield and he shouts a couple of like really awesome sayings and it's like, you know, then he slays the giant. But I tell you something, you know, commentaries say that, you know, it was at this point, like he could have been like, you know, 15 to 18 when he's going out and fighting Goliath. We know that from probably like at the age of 10, around 10 was when he was, went to, to play the harp, you know, for King, da for King Saul. And so we know that, I mean, that's at least, I mean, it probably took him, let's say like a year to get good at the harp. So maybe he was nine when he started playing the harp, and now he's 18. So we know he's almost been doing this in private for 10 years, okay? I tell you something, sometimes the enemy can make us feel so junky 
because, you know, we, we, we make a confession and it doesn't happen the next day. And then he could make us feel as though there's something wrong with us. You know, oh, ye of little faith, right? I mean, sometimes the enemy could use the scriptures against you, right? You know, oh, you know, if you were great and mighty, if you were better than it, whatever. But I tell you something, sometimes we have to realize that the distance between here and our promise is a lot farther than we want it to be. Keith Moore makes the statement, and he says, due season, you know, you'll reap in due season. He says, you know when due season is? It's always way beyond when you want it to be, right? And I mean, and, and I think that we, the reality is that we have to accept is that there, there has to be this one fundamental reality in our mind when it comes to faith, is that as soon as I say it, it's done. We have to remember that. As soon as I say it, angels have been dispatched, right? Like we see it in Daniel's life, right? I mean, as soon as he spoke the word, the angel was dispatched. Now, there's a period of time before that thing ends up getting to me because, you know, I'm working some things. I'm working the doubt that's resisting the angel. And so, okay, now my faith is working against the doubt. I'm working against the unbelief that's resisting the angel. And I'm doing those things. But as soon as I speak the word, the promise has been sent from heaven into my life. Okay. So, David practiced in private what we would eventually see manifested in his life in public. Because this is what I realized, is that Saul, uh, you know when we talk about uh, 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 Goliath, and they make this reference that Goliath is super tall, right? Like some things say that he was almost 10 feet tall, like 9 foot 9, okay? And, and what I realized was is that uh, they also made a reference to Saul, that Saul was head and shoulders above the average man, okay? So we know that Goliath was tall, but Saul was also tall. Now this was kind of a bummer for Saul, because I bet you at this point is that Saul knew that he was the most qualified to go fight Goliath, right? I mean, like, let's say that, like, Saul is, like, seven foot five, and Goliath is ten feet, you know, but the average guy is, like, five foot three, right? And so he's, like, you know, clearly I'm the best choice, and I think Saul knew it, and everybody around Saul knew it, but the problem was is that Saul hadn't practiced in private what he needed in order to do something public. And so because of that, instead of running to the battle, he was running from the battle. We have to do in private anything we expect to happen in public. And we see this with David, right? I mean, David was not the logical contender. He was not the top choice. But yet because he practiced in private what was necessary to win the battle in public when the battle came, he was ready. And we see this, right, even in this, in this scripture, where when King Saul comes to him and says, you know, like, why are you, what are you thinking here, man? Like, this guy is big, and you are small, and he is strong, and you are not. And David's response is what? When, what? When, when the bear came, I had the answer for the bear, right? And when the lion came, ooh, I had the answer for the lion, too what he had practiced and proved in private, what he now needed in public. I tell you, it's the same thing in our life. It's the hardest time to fight by faith is when you're in the middle of a storm. But what, when we practice in private, when we do those things, we worship in private, when I read my Bible in private, when I'm praying in tongues in private, when nobody's around, when I'm getting no glory for it, God uses those moments, those encounters, those times spent with him to then elevate you out in public. Why? Because, you know, not because, oh, now you're so great and you've earned the gold star. No, now you have the answer to the problem. You see, David was the only person in Israel who had the answer to the problem because he got it in private. So David's private life, we know very clearly that his, the main strategy that David understood in 1 Samuel 16, 18, we understand it very clearly that David knew we know of one thing. Well, actually, you know two things. We know that he knew how to fight, right? I mean, like, if you're killing a lion and a bear, you know, bare-handed, okay? Like, he's literally just like, ah, like ripping the jaws apart, right? We know that he could fight, but we also know that he knows how to get in the presence of the Lord. Right, we see that when Saul, you know, picks him and chooses him to come, and when he plays, it says the evil spirit of torment leaves him. But he knows how to get into the presence of the Lord and manifest the presence of the Lord. Why? Because David spent time with the Lord. 
It's amazing what the Lord can teach you how to do when you're in the presence of the Lord. I mean, I've never had a moment in time where God gives me a battle strategy to do hand-to-hand combat with a lion, okay? But obviously, I, I, let's think about this. Like, obviously, the Lord and David spent time, you know, maybe as he was, you know, sitting on a rock and he was, you know, playing with his sling. He's thinking, Lord, what if it would happen if like a lion came? And because he's in the presence of the Lord, he's in an atmosphere where the Lord can teach. I tell you something, sometimes we think that like God speaks to us in like thus and thou and thee. You know, and God's got, you know, the answers, you know, and it's always cherubim and, you know. But I tell you something, the word has the answer to every single problem, every question. You know, I love this story. I'm like way off my notes here, and God bless you. Um, I I remember hearing this story about, his name was George Washington Carver. I mean, even Albert Einstein would do this. Is that they didn't have the answer. I mean, I think about this with Albert Einstein. It says that, it's documented about him, that he would go and he would lock himself up in a dark room and he would spend time with the Lord. George Washington Carver, you know, they ran out of, I think, I can't remember, it was maybe cotton or something, something in the area. They ran out of rubber, or I don't remember. Something about the ground, the ground wasn't whatever, and all that it could do was produce peanuts. And so they had, they had nothing, but they had lots of peanuts. Okay? And he went in, what was it called? Like God's Little Workshop? Okay, Holy Spirit, you're good. I didn't read the book. God's Little Workshop. And I should read the book now. Maybe it's, it's heaven telling me. You should read the book, right? <laughs> Message received, Father. Okay. <laughs> He would go into God's little workshop, and God taught him. I'm pretty sure that he figured out how to turn peanuts into tires. I think that's what it was. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I read this. I actually read this, that he figured out how to turn peanuts into rubber. I'm, I'm telling you, I actually did research on this once. It was like 101 uses. You know, he did everything from peanut butter to racing tires, okay? I mean, that's a pretty extreme gamut of things, okay? Right? Okay? But this is how he's rolling his grave. Or he's getting way more credit than he deserves. <laughs> Anyways, this is what I'm trying to say. Like, understand my point here is that there is nothing that God cannot show you in his presence. But unless you first get it in private, yes, when you go to face the battle in public, you won't have the answer. Okay? And a side note on this. In verse 39, Saul says this, that, he tries to dress David, right? We know this, right? That David goes into his tent and Saul's thinking like, you know, well, if you're going to face this huge giant, you definitely need the best armor. And Saul tries to dress David up in his armor. And David responds with this. He says, I cannot go in these. I have not tested them. You know, I thought about this. You know, you can't fight a battle on somebody else's revelation. You know, like just like two seconds ago, I said that, right? And this is not a woohoo on me. This is just, I just said it. So I'm using it as an example. You know, that I'm so positive, you know? I tell you something, you got to go get your own revelation on how to do that. Because unless we have our own revelation of things, unless we have actually gone into the, our private places with God and allowed him to do the work in our heart, we aren't going to have the answer that we need in public, okay? David had his own truth. And that's why he was confident to run at Goliath. In the midst of this impossible situation, he had the truth in him, and the truth in him compelled him to go and do something about it. Okay, number two. When we rejoice, it produces a perspective. The men of Israel said this, this man, talking about David, or talking about Goliath, and David responded, this uncircumcised Philistine. The men of Israel said this, surely he has come up to defy Israel. And David said this, that, 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 uh, that, that he should defy the armies of the living God. That when the men of Israel said, the man who kills him, and David said, the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel. I tell you something, David saw things not from the natural perspective. David was consumed in every situation with what was the perspective of God in this situation. What, the men saw the giant and David saw the opportunity. The men saw, you know, the problem, and David saw the solution. I tell you something, when we rejoice and when we allow what's in us, the private time that's in us to come out from us, it's going to begin to change the perspective of how we view the things that are happening in our life. 
Because I tell you something, the way, uh, this is one of the things I've realized, is that the way that we see our battle and the way that we talk about our battle, 100% of the time determines the outcome, right? Like if I talk to somebody like, you know, if, if, here's the thing, let me use myself as an example. If I wake up in the morning and, you know, something happens, like let's say I get out of bed and I have this like really small space, like beside my bed to the wall, and it's like really small. So you literally have to like, kind of like shimmy. And, you know, if I like kick my toe, right, and something bad happens, and I'm like, oh, this day, oh, this day, you know, and I, I tell you something, I have a bad day. What well, our perspective matters. What we say about things, when we get into the middle of situations, what we say about those things matter in our lives. What, we have either won or lost the battle based off of our perspective, the way that you see what's happening in front of you, the way that you see your relationship, the way that you see your physical body, the way that you see your bank account, the way that you see your job, the way that you see your children, that perspective determines entirely the outcome that you're going to see. You cannot rise above your perspective. That's why what? In private, in, I'm in private. I'm in private with the Lord I'm allowing him to work on my perspective. I'm allowing him to work on the way that I think about things. I'm allowing him to work on these different things in my heart. Why? Because I know that my perspective, the way that I see the battle matters. And this is why we have to learn, we remember that we have to understand how to control our tongue. Because I mean, this is one of the things that I've noticed so often with the enemy, what he does, is right before you're about to go into a battle, and you know, he knows that you're ready for the battle, and he knows that you're going to have the victory, he brings situations up, like right in front of your face, that make you want to like walk out of love, which essentially is walk out of your anointing, which is essentially walk out of your victory. You ever notice that? Yeah. Like, you know, things are going good. You got the promise of God and you're like, yes, God, I'm going to fight for you. And yes. And then it's like all these small, like silly things are happening. Like people start getting on your nerves. And this is what happened to David, right? He said, David is getting ready to fight this epic battle. And everybody's like, no way, nobody can fight. And David is like, I will fight. And they're like, you know, what are we going to do with this guy? And he's like, I will kill the giant. And then what happens is we see that his brothers hear him, right? It's always the siblings, man. Ooh, it's the siblings. His brothers catch wind of what's happening, right? And they're like, you know, well, who are you? And they're like, you're so conceited. You're so full of yourself. Like, you need to go back home and go back and hang out in the field because that's where you, I tell you something, the enemy, what he knows, if he could steal our love, if he could steal our anointing, he could steal our victory. We also have to watch our, the things that we're allowing into our eyes and into our ears, okay? Verse 33, right? His brothers, Saul comes to him, right? And basically says like, you can't do this, you know? I, th I think I have it written here. Uh, yeah, he said, this is what Saul says to him. You aren't able, you're too young, and you're too small, right? I mean like, talk about, oh, that's a pep talk, you know? That's like getting me ready for a battle, you know? You're too young, you're too small, you know? And you're basically not good enough, right? I tell you something, David could have allowed that to change his perspective, but what? What he did in private, who he was in private, who he knew who he was, it didn't matter what other people said because he understood who he was. His perspective remained unchangeable in the midst of everybody else telling him it couldn't be done, which, forced, which, which elevated him to a place where he could win his battle. His perspective remained unchanged because he was always in control of his perspective. Number three, I'm almost done, I promise. We have to rejoice before the battle. Verse 31 and 32 says this. It says, uh, so, David said to, so David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, this is where he said, you know, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, right? You're too young, and he has been a warrior from his youth, you know? So basically, he's saying, like, you're too young, you're too small. This guy has been a warrior for longer than you have been born, right? <laughs> Solid pep talk, okay? But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Like, hey, yo, that's, 
you know, I'll be teaching man David classes after this, right? This is who we want to be, okay? And then it, it goes on to say this, that your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued you, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So, da- so Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. You know, it's basically saying, go, and good luck, right? <laughs> okay. And so, so then we see this moment, okay, let's, let's skip down here, um, and it says that, uh, so David said this to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, I'll strike you down and cut your head off, okay, ooh. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You know, he said all this before he took a step into battle. I think about this. You know, normally for me, like when you like punch the guy and he's like on the ground, then you're like, Oh, cut your head off while he's on the ground, right? Not David, because what he understood something that you, we have to rejoice before we get into the battle. If we want to see the, he was so confident in what was in him that even in the midst of what everybody, uh, everybody that was around him, literally the whole nation Everybody thought this was impossible. In fact, it was so impossible that for 40 days, Goliath would come out and he would do his crazy taunt and nobody would do anything. Like this wasn't like, you know, it was, it's been a couple of hours now and we're kind of waiting for someone to, we know somebody, this was 40 days. Like that's over a month, okay? That they were waiting and hiding with no answer in sight. But what? David, what was in him? was so confident what was in him in private what was in him that he had proved it came out before the battle had even begun and so we see sometimes you give you know let me say this actually david words his words actually weren't even that loud and they really weren't even that bold you know like when he was talking to the people of israel it wasn't like, you know, David gathered this, you know, rally a band of men and they were cheering and chanting for him because he was such a great motivational speaker. Doesn't say that. He basically responded like, yeah, like, I'll, I'll go. I'll fight him. But I tell you something, in the midst of everybody else's shame and fear, I tell you, sometimes you don't, you know, we, I like, I'm loud and my family is loud and I, I like loud but I tell you something, maybe you're not loud. But can you whisper for your victory? Can you just maybe say it? Because I tell you, God is waiting for his words to be released so that there could be something that he can anoint so that those words can go and win your battle. God is simply waiting on a word. Because if it had to do with voice, like, you know, sometimes we show, and I, I'm all about shouting because I feel like it does something on the inside of you. But if it was about shouting, how many of you know that Goliath would have certainly won the battle? Like, could you imagine how deep a 10-foot man's voice would be? I mean, like, that guy's on steroids, like, times a thousand, okay? His voice would be like, I can't, I, I don't have a low voice. I wish I did. David. I can't even do it, right? Because it's not loud. I wasn't blessed with a deep voice like some people are. But you can imagine, right? Like his deep voice, you know, and then they're like, they're in, the, in, a, in between two mountains, and so it's like echoing. You know, like, David, David, David. It's like scarier, right? It's like a horror movie, okay? You know, it's deep, it's thunderous, right? I mean, like his voices are, they're like striking fear into the heart of these elite soldiers. And then there's little David, you know? I mean, at this point, you know, he's probably like hitting puberty, you know? He's got kind of a high voice, sort of like mine, you know? 
little, maybe a little more crackly, right? If it has something to do with voice or the way that they were saying something, I tell you something, Goliath would have surely won, but it doesn't. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how you say the word. Just say the word. It doesn't matter whether you can shout it or you can only whisper it. It doesn't even matter if you're crying it because you're in so much pain. Just say the word. It doesn't matter if you got the covers pulled up over your head. You got the light on in the middle of the night because you're so afraid. You were just freaking out at your wife five minutes ago. Just say, just say the word. Just say the word. Because I tell you something, if there's something we realize from this story, is that the word itself, the word by itself, all alone, it does the work. Philippians 4.4 tells us this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's what the Lord said to me probably, it could be 10 years now, 10 years ago now. There's never a good time to think a bad thought. There's never a good time to say a negative word over your life. There's never a good time to be negative, to act negative. No, rejoice in the Lord always. Because you see, you can rejoice because you're not relying on you to win the battle. I think this was David's secret that he understood as he was fighting this battle was he was so stoked, not because, you know, he had been working out for the last six months. He wasn't stoked because he's thinking like, you know, you think that I got a slingshot, you know, but really I got a, like a Magnum 45, you know? It's like, oh, I'm going to pull it faster. I'm going to be swinging the sling here, you know, and pull out the shotgun on this hand, right? He's not thinking that. He's not pulling some like crazy thing happening here. He was able to rejoice. He was able to be so emphatic about what he knew the Lord was going to do because it was in him. And number four, number four is this. I tell you, we are relying on God. God is the reason why you're going to win your victory. God is the reason you're going to make it through. It doesn't matter anything about you. I tell you something, if that was true, God wouldn't have used David. In fact, God wouldn't have used anybody in the Bible. Everybody in the Bible was pathetic. It's true. I mean, you look at every single person and there was always something wrong with them. There was always something they couldn't do. There was always a reason they shouldn't have been chosen. There was always somebody better, but that didn't matter because it was all on God, nothing on them. David could run into the battle because he understood, I am not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone as I run into battle. I'm not alone. This isn't just a rock. This is God's rock. This isn't just a sling. This is God's sling. I am not. You might only see me, but I'm not alone. David knew he wasn't rejoicing about himself or how good he could do or how perfect his accuracy was. He was rejoicing and running into battle because he knew that God was with him. Like the scripture says, what I boast in the Lord. Not in myself, not in my abilities, not in my talents. I boast in the Lord. And number four, the last one here. Rejoicing is our weapon. Ver verse 48 says this, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle lines to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone and slung it and struck the, Philistine in the, in, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and fell face down on the ground. You know, that stone didn't just like hit him in the forehead, because that could have been legit. Like if somebody throws a stone super fast and it hits you like perfectly in the forehead, it could potentially kill you. But he was wearing a helmet. And it wasn't just like a, you know, a tinfoil, you know, UFO kind of helmet, okay? <laughs> 
It was a legit helmet. Like they, they, people have said that his armor in total would have weighed between 150 and 200 pounds. Like this was heavy duty, serious armor. But I tell you something, rejoicing, our words, our perspective is a weapon in the hands of the Lord. He will use whatever you have in your hand to win your battle. Maybe you only know one scripture. Say it. He'll use the one scripture that you know in order to win your battle. You never don't have what you need. He has equipped us with everything we need in order to succeed. And so we see this again in verse 38 and 39 that Saul was erring to the natural. He tries to put his armor on David. You see, that doesn't go too well. You know, Saul, zero, God, I think he's like at five at this point. Because natural, natural wisdom, natural ways will never produce a spiritual result. You need a spiritual breakthrough. You need something supernatural to happen in your finances. You need a miracle in your relationships. You need Jesus. And so we see this. We talk about the stones, and there's actually a rabbinic legend, like by rabbis, you know, and they try to make this thing up where they say that, you know, the stones, they called out to David from the stream. It's actually a thing. It's like a legend. And they're like, David, choose us, and we will slay. We know that's not true. I mean, if it was, you know, maybe it's like the, even the rocks will cry out, right? Maybe that's what it was. Right? It was God in the rocks, but I don't think it's true. We realized something is that there was nothing special about the stones. There was nothing special about the sling. Most of the time, there's nothing special about me or about you. I mean, I think I'm special. And I'm sh- hopefully you think you're special. And I think you're special. But there's nothing special about us. It's not the good people get the miracles and the bad people don't. It doesn't matter about your family. It doesn't matter about your history. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your stones. What matters is the word. What matters is the word. Because we see that that in verse 48 it says that he ran into battle and this is where it matters. Because you see, David could have said all the bold words. You know, he could have renounced Saul's armor, you know, and gathered up his shepherd's tool. But if he never went into battle, what would it have mattered? I loved Julia's teaching last Wednesday. Where are you, Julia? What's up? If you didn't hear it, you need to go back and watch it because it was excellent. But she talked to us basically about signing up for the battle, embracing resistance, doing the things that we don't want to do. Like tomorrow morning, I say this to the interns all the time, you know, tomorrow morning when my alarm goes off first thing in the morning and it's still dark out, you know, and half of my bedroom is actually kind of like outside. There's not insulation. And so right when I step down, it's ice cold. My room is cold, and I don't want to get into bed. Resistance. But what good is all this? What good is the teaching? What good is the, you know, watching things and listening to things if we're not willing to engage in the fight to change our lives? You see, this is what David was. David wasn't just words. You know, he wasn't just, you know, these outward things. He wasn't just renowned. No, but David was willing to step in and face his giants. He was willing to. He didn't just talk. He acted. He didn't just, you know, I know I'm afraid but I'm comfortable in my fear. You know, I'll just leave the light on. 
That's like me when I was young, you know? I'd leave the closet light on or the lights on in the whole house. You know, really, it didn't matter. But I think that's the question the Lord is asking us this evening. Will we engage in the fight? Because you can go home and complain about your bills or you could speak the word to them. You could go home and complain about your wife, but you could speak the word to the situation. You could go home and be afraid for your children, or you could speak the word. You could go home and hate what you see in the mirror, or you could speak the word. Because the word changes everything. Heavenly Father, we Lord, you have given us the answer to everything that we need. There is nothing that we need that is not in the Word. Could I just ask you to stand with me? Let's just stand. You could close your eyes and bow your heads. Let's just let this be a Holy Spirit moment, if you don't mind. Actually, as I was, you can keep your eyes closed. Let me just talk for a second. As I was preparing for this, I asked the Lord. I knew that I wanted to do this. And I asked the Lord, what do you want us to ask you? And I felt like he said this. I want you in your mind right now to bring up that problem that you're facing. You know, that thing is I'm talking about the giant. What is your giant? its finances, relationships, maybe a healing in your body, whatever it is, what is your giant? Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your business, maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's that you need a new house or you need to pay your bill, whatever it is, what is your giant? And this is all I want you to say, just say, Holy Spirit, show me your perspective. This perspective is the true perspective. It's more real than our problem. It's more real than our situation. It's more real than any giant we could face in our life. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking as we spend these just next few seconds in your presence, solidify this truth in our hearts. Let this be the perspective that we use to run into battle. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.